Welcome to Parashat Mishpatim. I'd like to dedicate our learning today, Lilui Nishmato, my father-in-law, Abraham ben Miriam, alav hashalom. Our class is also dedicated by the Daniel S. Loeb Torah Center, Diamond Donors, in honor of Michael and Elizabeth Dishi in celebration of the birth of their twin boys. And let's also learn for the complete refuah shalema of Yafa Esther Batrachel. Also, of course, let's have in our minds and our thoughts and our prayers, um, Eretz Yisrael, everybody who's there is on some level um, undergoing tremendous challenges. Let's say one Pedek Tehillim and hope and pray that this will be a, um, a way to remind all of ourselves of the power that Hashem has. It's Tehillim 130. Shir HaMa'alot Mima'amakim Keraticha Adonai Adonai Shema Bekoli Tehiena Oznecha Kashuvot Lekoltach Adonai Im Avonot Yishmoria Adonai Miyamod Kimcha Haslicha Lema'an Tevare Kiviti Adonai Kiveta Nafshi Veledivro Chalti Nafshi Ladonai Mishomrim Laboker, Shomrim Laboker, Yachel Yisrael et Adonai, Kiim Adonai Achesed, Veharbei Mopedut, Vehu Yifte et Yisrael Mikol Avonotav. Hashem is the one that is going to do, Pidion is going to redeem us, and He will create the miracles for that to happen. We're going to see if we get hopefully to the Haftarah today, uh, it speaks to that nature as well. There's so much to talk about in Parashat Mishpatim, so I think we should just dive right in. The first verse starts with, Ve'ele ha-mishpatim asher tasim lifnehem. And these are the ordinances that you shall place before them. Of course, there is a packed house inside these words. Every word has tremendous weight. The first thing we must pay attention to is that Vav HaChibur, the first letter of our perasha, is a letter of connecting. Many of the commentaries will say that this perasha is connecting us to the original ordinances that we saw in Sinai. This is a continuation of the Ten Commandments. We should not think that when Hashem revealed Himself on the mountaintop that those Ten Dibrot were the whole package, ve'ele, and the reason it has to have this vav hachibur is because these are going to be ordinances that Moshe is going to tell and relay to the people, as opposed to the ones that Hashem spoke himself. So don't for 10 seconds think that because they're being um, given over by Moshe or by a human that they have any less importance than the ones that were given in Sinai. There's way more to this uh, idea that Parashat HaMishpatim, I'll just start by giving the quickest overview, is that Mishpatim has over 50 mitzvot. It is saturated with laws. Many of them are about civil order. And so when we use words like ve'ele and we connect this perasha to what happened in Sinai, it's not just so that we could establish the importance of these laws, but it's so that we could establish the why these laws are even here. Next week, we're going to be having the command to build the Mishkan. So we're going from Har Sinai, this parashat Mishpatim is stuck in the middle, and then Parashat Terumah next week is going to say, Vikhuli Terumah. Each man has to bring a Terumah, and we're going to start collecting all the ingredients that we need to build a Mishkan. So, slowly, just on the simplest level, if the Parashat is beckoning us back to Sinai, we cannot move forward, we cannot read another Pasuk. We have to bring Sinai with us into this perasha. Maybe I'll say it that way. Ve'ele hamishpatim means bring what happened last week into this 
perasha, and you're going to place it lifnehem. One of the beautiful things about the Hebrew language is that so many words mean themselves <coughs> and their opposites. Meaning lifnehem, you might think, means before them, to their faces. But really what we're going to see taking place in Parashat Mishpatim is that these are the ordinances that you need to put lipenehem, bifnehem, inside bifnim, the word panim, which means the outside, also means bifnim, put it on their insides. So something has to be impressed internally by us in order for us to activate this entire process that started back in Sinai. Now, if we take a minute and we revisit what happened in Sinai, and maybe some of us are not so comfortable going back to that place because the truth of the matter is what Hashem had planned, which was for this to be a union between God and man, between the spiritual and the physical, this was going to be the accomplishment, the achievement of the covenants where man and God were going to become one. Unfortunately, we had used that term last week, rather than have the people breach the mountain, which he thought was going to happen, <clears throat> rather than the people coming and rushing to approach God, his revelation had the opposite effect and the people had recoiled, and the people were scared for their lives, and the people were saying, please, Moshe, you speak to us. We can't hear the word of God, because otherwise we might die. And we have to ask ourselves the question, and that is, why did they have that reaction? You know, we go into Shavuot, and the mountain is depicted with beautiful flowers, and it's like a chuppah, and it's uh, the, the, the greatest show on earth, and there's a shofar blowing, but at the same time, there was a scariness about it. There, it was fearful, there was smoke, and um, the experience was overwhelming for them. And this is where we see the chesed of Hashem. Hashem doesn't say to Moshe or to the people, I can't believe you guys. I, I planned this whole event and you guys are no-shows. Nobody even shows up. The plan was, remember? You were supposed to come up to the mountain. I was supposed to blow the yovel. You were supposed to come to the mountain and nothing. Nothing happens. Actually, worse than nothing, you go back in the opposite direction. And when I say chaste Hashem, what I mean by that is that Hashem who created us understands us and has sympathy, has Rahmanas for us to the point that he addresses and internalizes, if it's such a word, the reason for our reaction. And he recognizes and he says, I understand that I can take the famous, I can take the Jew out of Egypt, but it's not so easy to take Egypt out of the Jew. We know the trauma that is still with so many of them is going to end up uh, hindering them from going up this mountain. And so what does God do? He does a few things. And the first thing he's going to do in Parashat Mishpatim, of all the laws Everybody fasten your seatbelts. You're about to hear the mishpatim that God is going to put before you. And what does he put before them? It's a little bit of a letdown. They have no clue or concept. Nothing about what's taking place here has any relevance to them. This is not something that they, in their lifetimes, could even fathom. Buying an Eved Ivri. You're going to buy a Hebrew and a slave. What? What are you even talking about? But God knows what he's talking about. 
He understands that they're coming from a place of having been slaves. And in order to start to rehabilitate them, he's going to tell them, the day will come when not only are you not a slave, but let me show you what it looks like to be a master. And what God's going to do here is he's going to create a generation of masters rather than a traumatized generation of slaves. Because the mentality needs to change. We said the verse a million times already. I'll say it a million and one. Hashem wants us to see ourselves, he says it last week, as a mamlechet kohanim and a goy kadosh. That's the intent. The intent is that we should see ourselves as kings. We should see ourselves as priests. We should see ourselves as a holy nation. That's what he wants for us. And we can't just see ourselves that way if we're coming from a place of trauma. So God now is going to say, I'm giving you both. I'm going to allow you to see yourselves as the master. But now that you have undergone your experiences, I want to make sure that you don't bring your slave experiences with you when you are a master. Meaning, can you all hear me? Yes, okay. Meaning, when you are the master, I don't want you to be like the taskmasters in Egypt. There's a system that's going to be in place. It's going to be a limited amount of time that you're going to have your slave. You have to treat him a certain way. There are a few verses in this week's parasha speaking to how a slave should be treated. And it's mostly from the focus. It doesn't talk about the slave as much as it talks about the owner of the slave and how he should behave. But the most important thing here is what God wants to cultivate for us is a, this whole endeavor, I should say, is a self-building endeavor. The entire parashat mishpatim is going to be a way that we could build ourselves up. The simplest, on the simplest level, we could easily say that what God is saying here by turning us from being the slaves to being the masters is he's giving us license for every one of us to walk away from the victim mentality. He realizes that that's what tripped us up in Sinai. There was a French socialist theorist, Pascal Bruckner. He quotes Freud on the psychology of victimhood just so we could see how sensitive Hashem is to the plight that we were in, to the delicate psychological condition that we were in, to that slave mentality that we had. And of course, the number one thing that the Perashah is going to say is, you can't stay there. You need to move on from that mentality. If you want to read Rabbi Sachs, he writes beautifully about the idea of victimhood and what happens to us if we don't move past the trauma, if we stay in that place where we see ourselves as victims. And he says the human uh, being has the capacity to move past that. Um, what Freud had said is so scary because he describes what happens to the victim who doesn't move past it. And he says that people who suffered diseases or setbacks during their childhood, they believe themselves exempt from the sacrifices that belong to humanity as a whole. I'll say this in different words. The people who have been victims believe that the laws don't necessarily apply to them. They believe that they get a pass. They believe that they're exempt from the rules. 
because they believe that they endured enough that they don't have to accept any further deprivation. I suffered enough. So whatever the rules are for everybody else, those rules don't apply to me. And they take it a step further. This is Freud. They can commit injustices since they have suffered injustices themselves. They start, this victim mentality starts to say to them that they are exceptions and life owes them. Because they suffered, they are entitled. There are things that are owed to them. They are owed reparations. And those who feel they have been wronged in some deep fashion often believe they have earned the right to behave how they see fit. The morality that binds others is not relevant to them. And the idea of being a victim is because I already suffered and I already paid my dues, I am exempt. And the scariest part is the victim who never comes out of the vicious cycle of victimhood very often ends up perpetuating that behavior. And how many uh, abused children do we find that their parents who are abusing them were themselves abused. The Torah is completely against this spiral that we could find ourselves in. This place of victimhood could be like a, like a black hole. It has a gravitational pull. It pulls you in this direction of darkness, in this direction of blackness. And once you're in that place and in that space, getting out is like a, like a vortex. It's, it's impossible almost to, to pull yourself out of that. And Parashat Mishpatim is going to come here and say, that's not the way that Hashem has designed for His people. For His beacons of light, for the people that He's brought out of Egypt, that He's made a covenant with our forefathers, we have to take a different path. And taking that path is not necessarily going to be so easy. It's not so easy to pull yourself out of the darkness. It's not so easy to, to the images and the horrors that they had from Egypt. And of course, I'm talking, or the Torah is talking about Egypt, but we're living through a lot of history today. And to pull ourselves away from what we've seen and what we've heard and what so many people have experienced is not an easy task. But the Torah is saying, if God forbid we don't have the strength to move away from that darkness, it can eat us up alive and it will cause even more additional harm than the initial harm of the trauma. And so I'll just say it differently the Torah here in Parashat Mishpatim is asking us to break the cycle. If the cycle was that you were a slave, I'm going to show you a different way, says the Torah. And I'm going to show you what it means or what it looks like to be a master. And just through this guided imagery, just through talking about and telling the people, again, they're in the desert and they're going to be here for another 40 years. So like I said, <laughs> and the likelihood that anybody at that time hearing those laws was actually going to be the master of a Jewish slave was pretty slim. But the laws, again, the way that they may seem uh, uh, archaic or outdated or irrelevant to us, this would be a perfect example of a law that would be irrelevant to them. But there is no such thing as the Torah being irrelevant. It has a relevance and it has a purpose for every person in every generation. And even if the purpose here was just to depict to the people and to make them understand that they're no longer slaves, you're not there anymore. You took Egypt with you, leave it. Empty the baggage, 
empty those packages, leave them on the side and move forward towards freedom, move towards this place where you are now the master. And when we start to look at this, we realize that this is what Torah is about. If we're going to read next week about all the korbanot that we're going to bring, let's call them sacrifices, but the Hebrew word korban means karov, a way to come close to God. What is God telling us in essence? And he, it's written over and over through the Torah and the Nevi'im and in the Ketubim, God doesn't want our empty sacrifices he doesn't want us to bring out bulls and he doesn't want us to bring our uh, uh, doves or whatever they may be. What he really wants of us is to bring ourselves. It's easy to remember because the first person to bring a korban, of course, was Cain. And Cain's korban was rejected. And one of the reasons that his korban was rejected wasn't because Hevels was accepted and God only has one slot to bring korbanot and Hevels was accepted, so therefore his was rejected. That's not the story. The story is that Hevel Hevi Ganho. We've learned this so many times. What God wants is us to bring ourselves. Ganho. He brought himself. He brought of himself. And that's what Hashem is going to accept. And so here, if we're going to talk about coming close to God, which means having a relationship with God, we saw that last week in Sinai, we couldn't have a connection with God. It was impossible for us. We panicked. We were near death, or maybe we had, according to some of the commentaries, we died and came back to life. We were so overwhelmed, and I'm going to call the relationship that we couldn't that couldn't be sustained, I'm gonna call that the vertical relationship. Just so we have an imagery for ourselves that Sinai would have been a heaven-earth relationship. Picture a straight line drawn from the highest heaven all the way down to earth and back. That vertical relationship that was intended was not sustainable. And we know that anyway. We know that when it comes to having relationships, it's impossible to sustain something that just is a one and done. You have the big, great show on earth, and then the, the feelings and the emotions are going to dissipate. We've seen it even now in the last few parashiyot. We split a sea. My gosh. What would Hollywood do if they were able to have the film rolling when there was an actual real sea splitting and people walked on dry land. You know how many billions of dollars it would cost to simulate that? It was something unheard of. And of course, it happens at the perfect moment. And then of course, it closes at the perfect moment. And after all of that, what happens? The people complain, the people regress because the big shows, the big, Hooplas, they don't have sustainability. And so we'll go back to Sinai for a second and say, Hashem recognizes that a vertical connection of that magnitude, imagine wanting to build a skyscraper, something that starts on earth and goes all the way up to heaven. Try building that. It's impossible. The physical world, says God, has physical laws. There are laws of gravity, for instance. What is the law in the physical world of something that has to be able to start on earth and reach all the way to the heavens? He's going to tell it to us so simply. The answer is right in Parashat Mishpatim. The base has to be in relationship to the height. You cannot build a one-foot-by-one-foot skyscraper. Why not? The verticality of it, it would have nothing to want. It would have nothing to sustain it, to ground it, to balance it. Architects know that the base, the footprint of a building, will determine how high that building could go. So, parashat mishpatim is about what? It, instead of 
building this vertical connection to God, God is saying, I need you to first build a wah, a horizontal connection. What does a horizontal connection mean? What does that even look like? I need you to widen your bases, saying God. What does that mean to widen my base? Horizontal connections, which is all parashat mishpatim, is about person to person, is about connecting on the horizontal plane. Before you could reach the heavens, you need to have a very strong and solid base here on earth. And that's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you laws, says God, that if your ox happens to gore his ox, I'm going to give you laws so that you could move forward, so that you can stay together. What happens if one person crashes another person's car? What happens? Those two people are not going to be very happy with each other. So the Torah says, I can't have a society where people are not getting along. If I want to have a strong base and I want everybody to get along, let me put a system in place. You know the words that God uses in order to repair the relationship is shalem yishalem. The word for payment is shalom. The only way that you're going to build a strong horizontal uh, foundation is by having shalom with each other. And in the physical world, things are going to happen and discourse is going to take place and there are going to be crashes and there are going to be clashes. But it's not about that. It's about shalem yishalem. It's about finding our way back to shalom, back to, of course, in the physical world, how do you have peace? You call the mechanic, you pay for his car, you rent him a loaner in the time that it's taking to fix his car. Today we have insurances that handle a lot of that. But at the end of the day, shalom. We need to find shalom. And very often, you know, they say the joke about if the shalom, buy it. If you want shalom, buy it. I think the Torah, Parashat Mishpatim, really was the first one to say that. There is a way, there is a path. And why do we even need this whole shalom business? Why is this in the middle of our story? Because Hashem is saying, if you want to have a relationship with me, you have to have a relationship with others. But guess what else he's saying? If you want to have a relationship with others, what's the third relationship? If the first one was the vertical Har Sinai, man and God, and the second was the horizontal Mishpatim, man and man, you know what it's all pointing towards? It's all pointing towards the relationship that we have with ourselves. The sense of shalom is not just that I need to have shalom with my fellow man so that we could have peace amongst us. It's that I need to have that shalom because if I don't have shalom with somebody else, and we're all familiar with this, if I'm fighting with somebody else, sometimes that other person isn't even aware that we don't have shalom between us. But I'll tell you one thing, it will eat us up inside to the point that we don't have shalom with ourselves. We're not at peace with ourselves. And one of the biggest things that the Torah wants is for us to find our way to have our inner peace because it's going to all start there. You have to put it bifnehem. You have to put this inside of them. This is for them. This is for us. All of us, even here today, we all have to find a sense of uh, uh, shalom, shlemut, not just peace, but wholeness and completion. That's what Parashat Mishpatim is going to uh, be beckoning us toward and be begging us to go towards. And you know what's so beautiful about it is that if we only saw Har Sinai as this relationship between man and God, and then we're seeing Parashat Mishpatim as relationships between man and man, we may have missed something. We may have missed that Parashat Mishpatim and Parashat Yitro are 
connecting two paradoxical aspects of Torah. One aspect is that Torah is a spiritual endeavor. The other one is that it is a physical endeavor. One is that God is totally and completely infinite. And then the other one are laws that are finite laws here on earth that we could achieve and we could attain. And these are presented together because the most beautiful thing is that the Torah is the essence of God. It's gonna bring together both of these aspects, the finite and the infinite. They're both one. If God wanted to show us one thing on Har Sinai, it's that the heavens and the earth are one. They are connected. It's just such a hard concept for us to internalize because as human beings, we have a very limited view of the world. It's impossible for us to see all of the dimensions that Hashem sees. But He wants to tell us that there is the revealed and there is the concealed. But they're both two sides of the same coin. And sometimes when we see the revealed, we can't see the concealed. When the revealed, when one kind, part of the coin is when heads, when it's heads, like there's heads and tails, when there's heads, we can't see the tails. We could see the beginning, we can't see the end. We could see what's revealed, we can't see what's hidden. But what Hashem wants us to know is that just because we can't see the other side of the coin, we have to be aware that it's there. Just because we can't fathom what's infinite, we have to accept that it exists. These ideas are very beyond us. And then comes Parashat Mishpatim and says, okay, I'm going to press the pause button. I gave you so many of these big ideas. Let me give you something easy and practical to focus on. And it's interesting that preceding Parashat Mishpatim you have this at the end of Parashat Yitro, which is the segue for our Parashat this week. So for those of you with Pumashim, if you just go back two or three Pesukim, you'll see that in verse um, 19, Hashem tells Moshe, tell, tell this to Bnei Yisrael. Atem re'item, you saw, ki min hashamayim dibarti imachem. I spoke to you from the heavens. So you're on earth and you saw that I spoke to you from the heavens. And then he goes and gives him the strangest law. I, I don't even know what it's doing here. Law ta'asun iti elohe kesef velohe zahav. Make sure that you don't make of me a god of silver or a god of gold. Law ta'asun lachem. Don't make sure you don't make anything any kind of God out of me of silver and gold. And then this next verse maybe clarifies it. Verse 21. Mizbeach adamata Instead, forget the gold and forget the silver. Instead, mizbeach adamata Make for me an altar of earth. Uzavachta alav et olotecha. And upon it, you can bring your offerings and your shlomecha, your peace offerings, and all your livestocks. Bechol makom asher askidet shemi, and any place that my name will be mentioned, that I will allow my name to be mentioned, avo elecha uberachticha. I will come and I will bless you. I didn't know what to make of this pasuk. This is the end of Parashat Yitro, right before Parashat Mishpatim, God is saying, if you want to worship me in some kind of way, make sure that the altar that you build for me is an altar of Adama, of earth. And then I started to realize really what God was saying is that, and we know this forever, that God doesn't need our offerings and he doesn't need our altars. But maybe he used the word Mizbeach Adama, maybe from the word Adam. 
maybe that we should be the ones that are bringing ourselves to God. A mizbeach of Adam, a mizbeach of a person. How do we bring ourselves to God? How do, how do, how do we become the human korban? How do we become these human sacrifices? What Vivian, is, yes. Vivian, is it, I think like the laws in Mishpatim is a way of bringing godliness to our everyday lives. A hundred percent. We to deal with things like this. But if it's not in a vacuum, we understand that all of this is a way of bringing God to us. I couldn't have said it better myself. I love you, Zella, for saying that because the direction that I want to go into is in as much as we think that God is giving us these rules and these laws so that we could keep all of these ordinances, he's really giving us opportunities for us to build ourselves up. I'm going to give us, uh, uh, since you said that, I, I, I like that so much that I want to take this. So we're going to move from this Mizbech Adama where we ourselves are the ones that are uh, bringing ourselves, we are bringing our own Adam, our own humanity to, the, to, the, to God. And of course, the end to that Pasuk is when we do that, we are allowing God's name to be expressed. It doesn't get any more beautiful than the idea that once we accept and express our divinity, our godliness, our ability to, to connect with Hashem, then what's going to happen? He says, Avo elecha uberachticha. That is the blessing. It's not that God is just going to give us blessing because we did this, but I'm going to come to you, and I'm, we know what the word beracha means. It's an agricultural term, which means I'm going to allow you to utilize your greatest self and live up to your greatest potential. The word beracha, we had said, it was that agricultural term where you take the branch from the tree and you put it in the ground while it's still attached to the tree, remember? And we don't sever it from the tree until it grows its own roots. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to grow our own roots. He wants us to know who we are, what we are, what we're capable of. And once we recognize that, then we're going to be able to not just receive beracha. Beracha means we're going to be able to be our own source. We're going, there's going to come this, this uh, place where we are going to be the output of life, where we're going to be the output of uh, positive forces, of, of life-sustaining forces. This is... This is I'm going to give you an easy, simple example from this week's parasha because it really ties in beautifully. So if you'll turn, please, to um, Pedek 23. Um, I'm going to give you verse 17. I would love to give you the whole thing, but we don't have all the time in the world. So if we go there... Actually, I'm going to do a, a better thing. I'm going to take you to verse 19 first. Because we're going to talk about Bikure Admatecha. We're going to talk about the first fruits and the produce that comes from your ground. I'll read you the verse, verse 19. Reshit Bikure Admatecha Tavi Bet Hashem Elohecha Lo Tevashel Gedi Bachalev Imo. This could be a whole class in and of itself, but I'll give you the parts that tie in with our message. And that is that as God is giving us all the laws, and this is, this is coming on the tail end of the three festivals, the pilgrimage that we make to Yerushalayim, the Shalosh Pe'amim Bashana, three times a year we're going to come up to God. And then it's going to add this uh, story and it's going to say Reshit Bikure Admatecha Bring me the first of your Bikurim to my house, says God. What are the first of the fruits of our Bikurim? Again, all roads are going to lead back to Cain. He was the first one who brought the first of his fruits. 
And what is God saying? Just because you failed once, just because it didn't work out one time, just because humanity missed an opportunity, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to give you a chance to get it right. So if Hevel's going to represent the farm, uh, excuse me, if Cain's going to represent the farmer and Hevel's going to represent the shepherd, the one who's bringing sheep, God's telling us here, I'm still accepting. He doesn't say, okay, that's it. I never want to see another produce again. I don't want to see any of your agriculture again. He's saying, I still want you to bring Reshit Bikurehat Matecha. And of course, what else does he want us to bring? Our Adams. He wants us to bring our own selves with us. And then he says this thing, and I, I, I never was able to put them together. Hopefully we could reconcile the first half of the verse with the second. The first half says about bringing offerings. And then it says, by the way, we're going to get now culinary uh, rules. Lo tevashel gedi bachalevimo. By the way, this is one of at least three times where it says, make sure that you don't cook a goat in its mother's milk. And so much has been written on this. First of all, since it is totally disconnected from the idea of bringing bikurim, what does cooking a goat in its mother's milk have to do with bikurim? And also, what are the chances that somebody's going to actually be able to cook a goat in its own mother's milk. That means that the mother who's giving the milk, who gave birth to this goat, is now going to have this baby goat killed and cooked in her milk. Now, it could have happened maybe back then, but the likelihood that any of this is going to take place today, and by the way, our laws of meat and milk come from this verse because they take it as far as to say, forget that it's a mother and a child being cooked in each other's milk, but there shouldn't be any milk and any meat put together. And if we start to unpack what is, let's talk about one of the laws of meat and milk. So uh, from there, forget the cooking of the milk and meat, any kind of milk with any kind of meat. There are practical halachot in place and I know different communities wait different amounts of time after having eaten meat before they're allowed to eat dairy. But everybody has the same system in place where the amount of time that you wait after eating dairy is way shorter than the amount of time that you wait after eating meat. So if you're going to go from dairy to meat, depending on who your posek is, some people rinse their mouth, brush their teeth, eat a piece of bread, wait 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, follow your local rabbi and do your customs as you should. But everybody will agree that if you're going to eat meat, you're going to wait exponentially more time before you're allowed to eat dairy. And I want to talk about this in terms of this people building. Because again, how does this, how, why does this even fit into Parashat Mishpatim? I'd like to suggest that milk, if we had an association with milk, we might want to say milk, first of all, is white. It's smooth. It's flowing. Milk always represented a mother nourishing her child. There's a sense of, of love, there's a sense of giving, there's a sense of generosity and flowing. Milk is a, has a very beautiful edit, zavat chalavudvash. When we have an association with milk, it's usually something very white, very pure, uh, um, very nice. I'll just take you to the meat side for, for 10 seconds. In contrast, meat is tough, it's red. It's bloody. Meat and milk are two totally different opposites. And so one beautiful lesson that we could learn, if we learn about meat and milk in the context of building, 
is that if we, I don't, I don't know if this is a, a Kabbalist idea or where I had heard this, but it stayed with me because I thought it was a very beautiful concept. And the idea was that we're learning about Parashat Mishpatim under the umbrella of Adam Lechavero, of laws that mostly pertain. There are some, like the three regalim, for instance, the three pilgrimages that we uh, make to Jerusalem, they're not all just between man and man. And some might argue that even the three pilgrimages are about fostering relationships and having the people in Yerushalayim greet the people that were outside of the, uh, uh, of, in the outskirts. And you could argue all that. But under this umbrella, there's this beautiful understanding that if there are two people that need to come to a place of shalom, if there are two people that need to connect, if one person wronged somebody else, let's say, maybe we can get a hint from the chalav that the first approach should be to I don't know what's the best way to say it, you know, drink a glass of milk before you approach them, or to approach people first with halav, to approach people first with kindness, to approach people first with lovingness. I'll tell you the flip side to that. If there is a discourse between two people and we first approach them with the uh, meat mentality, with this uh, um, beating them up and, and attacking them and with blood, it's going to take forever. It's going to take more than six hours or whatever the customary time you wait from meat to go back to dairy. If you start with meat, if you start with this uh, toughness, it's going to take much longer to reach a place of kindness. But if you start with kindness, then you already break down so many barriers that you pave the way to have the hard conversations. Let's say it's a child. You can't just hug the child and say, I love you no matter what. I understand that's what milk would be. I'm going to nourish you. I'm going to, I'm the mother, you're the child. The milk's going to flow from me and I'm going to nourish you. You can do that, says the Torah. But then you have to also give them the tough part and you have to go through the tough love and you have to teach them the lesson and you have to let them know where they're wrong. But if you do it in the reverse and you first tell a person about all their faults and you're so tough with them, you may never get a chance to feed them the milk. You may never get a chance to go to that place of flowing and love and kindness. And this is definitely outside the realm of the Peshat, of the simple understanding, but I feel it goes into this idea of building ourselves up. The Torah is giving us ways, and I said, we're never shalem, we're never at peace, and we're never whole if there are people in our lives that we are, uh, we have irreconciled, we haven't reconciled with, let's put it that way. And so maybe this little law is here specifically in as much as to tell us, make sure you don't cook the goat in its mother's milk on the one level. Maybe it's telling us something else. It's giving us a how to approach relationships or people that we may not otherwise uh, be able to do. Maybe it's saying, try kindness. My dad always used to say, kill them with kindness. If there's somebody's nasty, like the cashier is being nasty to you for no reason, rather than respond in kind, kill them with kindness. Be extra nice to them and you'll just disarm and dismantle them. They don't know, they won't know how to respond to kindness. They won't know how to continue that cycle, break the cycle. And I think that's a big part of Parashat uh, Mishpatim. And what's so beautiful about this is the next Verse, after it talks about the meat and the dairy, it says, This is now getting towards the end of Mishpatim. God is saying, guess what? 
when all the dust settles and you had a chance to think about everything I had to say, I want you to know this because this is going to be part of what you need to build yourselves up. I am sending an angel before you. To guide you on your path. And to bring you to the place that I have prepared for you. What is God saying? He says it to us every single time. Sometimes we don't see it and we don't notice it. But God's saying, I realize that everything I'm asking you to do is not so easy. It's not so easy to reconcile with people. It's not so easy to forgive yourself when you did something wrong. It's not so easy to forgive your fellow man. It's not so easy to have a relationship with something totally uh, spiritual while you're in physical beings. But let me tell you one last thing. This might help you, says God. Know that you're never alone in this. This endeavor, this journey that you're going to be taking I want you to know, my angel is there to pave the way. What does that even mean? It means that God is saying, I know you can't do this alone. And you probably know you can't do this alone. So when you're in your deeper and your darker hours, that's why I had chosen that Tehillim, is because when you're in this darkness and when you feel most furthest removed, when you're at your lowest, when you're at the base and you feel that there's an infinite amount of space between you and Hashem, Hashem says, wow, I'm sending my angel and my angel is going to be constantly there with you. And it's not something that we're hearing for the first time. We heard it when Yaakov blessed the children of Yosef. This angel that's been guarding me should guard them. And we heard it with Yaakov himself when he leaves his parents' house and he thinks he's going to be alone, hungry. He doesn't have a piece of bread. He's freezing. He doesn't have a beggar little bosh. And God shows him a ladder. And on that ladder are angels coming up and down. They're coming down from the heavens to be with him and accompany him. That's what we all have to believe that we have just because we can't see it. And I started to say, Har Sinai is the spiritual. Mishpatim is the physical. But they're connected. They're two sides of the same coin. The laws, even the laws as they came down, the Ten Commandments start from the highest, I am Hashem, your God, coming down all, all the way down to the most basis, practical laws of killing and, and jealousy, for instance. The last one is jealousy, meaning God saying, I understand your tendencies, and I understand that you believe that you have limitations. And maybe one of the most beautiful expressions of this is you just turn the page one more, and you go to... Um, Perek 24, and you go to verse 9. Moshe, Aharon, Adav, and Avihu, and the 70 Zekinim, what do they do? They're able, Vayiru et Elohe Yisrael. They're able to actually gaze upon, perceive, and internalize the God of Yisrael. And what do they see? Tachat raglav, on the bottom of his feet. Of course, all of this is a kiv yachol. All of this is a, um, the Torah's use of anthropomorphism, the Torah's use of making God, describing him in physical or human terms so that we could relate to it. So imagine they're going to describe God as having feet and that under his feet there is this brickwork of sapphires, and it is the essence of heaven impurity. It's describing that the people were able to gaze upon God, and this is what they saw. Now at this point you'd think that the people are in a state of shock, awe, and possibly paralyzed from this vision. But the next verse says the most fascinating thing. Ve'el atzile b'nei Yisrael, lo shalach yado, 
ויחזו את האלוהים ויאכלו וישתו. This is one of the most uh, uh, debated verses in Torah, which is, the English says, that the great men of the children of Israel, what happened? He didn't stretch out his hand to, in other words, he didn't harm them, he didn't harm them maybe in any way. We're going to talk about it a little differently. Why would he even harm them? Because they gazed upon the uh, image of Elohim and rather than be awestruck or rather than be in a state of complete euphoria, I don't know what we might have expected, it says, Vayuchlu Vayishtu. The English says, yet they ate and drank. What is this whole verse and why did I bring this today? Because I think this is the whole parashat mishpatim. God is going to now reveal himself, show himself, open the curtains, show what's behind the curtains up in the heavens. We're now going to get a total view of what's happening in the heaven, which was almost similar to the Ma'amad Har Sinai, where God is now going to reveal himself. And in this story, the strangest thing happens, and it's recorded here. What do the people do? They pop popcorn, and they're eating, and they're watching as God is... It doesn't make sense. It makes no sense except it makes all the sense in the world. Because God is saying, I'm done with the model where I present myself to you and you can't even breathe. You're totally uh, overwhelmed by it. That's not what I want. The relationship that I want to have is that when I am being my most spiritual revealed self, that you can be your most physical selves. Imagine, we thought in Har Sinai, our clothing had to be washed, a dog wouldn't dare bark, everybody is just completely having the most spiritual, pure moment of their lives because God's going to come to them. And we get the impression that God could only come to us when we're not being physical. So God here says, you know what? Eating and drinking for human beings is the most basic physical act. Like we know angels don't eat. When uh, Gidon, for instance, or the wife of, of uh, Manoach, when Manoach's husband's going to bring food, he puts it on the rock and it goes up to the heavens. Angels don't eat because eating is a defining physical act. And God is going to say this. I'm going to do the most spiritual thing. And at the time that I'm doing that, I want you to be able to do the most physical thing. Because we are two sides of one coin, which means that we could simultaneously exist. My great spirituality exists together with your greatest physicality. And that puts a whole new stamp on Parashat Mishpatim. That starts to say that don't think that because you're busying yourself covering a hole that was uncovered so that somebody doesn't fall in it, Guess what that is? That is a physical act that ignites, that engages, that channels my spirituality, says God. It's not that when you're being physical, you're removing yourself from the spiritual. It's that you're bringing, can we use the example of the IDF, of the soldiers, and of their wives and of their families as they're out there doing the most physical, the most difficult tasks. What is God saying? You're doing the most difficult and the most physical tasks. That's when I am going to be most exposed and most spiritual. So much so that you can see the brickwork under my feet, says God. And as he's saying that, he's saying... And that's what's going to bring my angels to come and be together with all of you. And my angels are going to stand and they're going to be here to protect every single one of you. And I hope to 
to Hashem, please. And I pray that these promises that are here in the books that we have open, even the Haftara, it's Rosh Chodesh, Friday and Saturday. And you know what the Haftara says, and I'll end with this, Hashem, Hashamayim Kis'i, the heavens may be where my throne is, you could cry, Vehaaretz, Hadom Raglai, and the earth is my footstool. If that image doesn't evoke a sense of God being in the heavens and in the earth at the same time, of him being here simultaneously, of him saying, as much as you may picture me somewhere aloof in the heavens, know that the earth is my footstool. My footstool is what grounds me, what balances me, what allows me to stand. I am so connected to the earth. We, his people, need to know it. We need to believe it. This um, beautiful line, which we say because it's Rosh Chodesh, and every month in the time of the new moon, and every Shabbat, this is the end of the Haftarah, every person is going to come and prostrate before me, Amar Hashem. How are we going to get to this place where every month and every Shabbat we are renewed and we have the strength and the vigor to come and bow before God is because we know that he's right here with us. This is Parashat Mishpatim. This is Shalosh Pe'amim Bashana. This is, all this is in this week's Perasha and in this week's Haftarah. We don't have to jump through hoops to internalize what Hashem is telling us and to internalize the message that He's giving us, which is, I am right here. I'll end with this verse because it's beautiful. The Shalosh Pe'amim Bashana, three times a year, Yira'eh Kol Zechurecha Et Adon Hashem. Why is it in the middle of Parashat Mishpatim? It's saying, I want you three times a year, doesn't mean that all of your males will be seen. It means all of your things that you are remembered for, all your zikronot, everything you've done. Hashem is building us up and He's telling us three times a year, I am revealing, I am uh, um, seeing all of your zikronot, of all of your beautiful things that you have done, el pene ha'adon, towards the face of Hashem, your master. That means that there's constantly, throughout the years, opportunity and energy to flow from God's throne down to our earth. And as that energy is flowing, Hashem is making these promises to us. And Hashem is saying, and if you have time to read the whole Haftarah, He says some very chilling things that we hope that we are able to see in our time, in our day, which is, I am going to see to it that those who have harmed you will be harmed. And I will see to it that those who've been loyal to me will once again experience a magnificent rebirth. And I hope and I pray that this is the month that this comes to fruition and we're able to see it and we're able to celebrate it and we're able to understand that all of this pain is part of the process of the Geulah. I have a beautiful friend that taught me something so nice this week. I'm just going to share it with you. She said, just like in childbirth, before the baby is born, a woman goes through tremendous pain and has tremendous contractions and there is blood and it's gory and it's messy. And at that point, it's very hard to even believe or fathom that something beautiful and that something uh, new and a briya and a birth is going to come. But that's the geulah. That's what it looks like. The birth, 
the birth of. One second. Mutal. It went that way. I'm sorry. The birth of, God willing, the Geulah, if we picture it like the birth of a physical child and how they come into this world, then maybe we could understand that it's all one the blood and the pain and the suffering and the birth and the new life and pray that Hashem has mercy and guides us with compassion, with Rahmanut and allows for the pains to be ended and for the birth to finally happen. I believe we're at 10 centimeters here. Let's hope and pray that we only could see now cause for celebration from here moving forward. Thank you all for joining. Amazing. Wish you a beautiful week. Thank you. Thank you. Let me do this. Stop recording. Recording stop.